and welcome to Broads, Books, and Booze. Today, my guest is Monica. Hello. And we have recently read The Rosie Project. Are you a fan? I am a fan. So, do you want to go ahead and describe the book to us? Well, I think it's interesting that it is a romance book, and I liked it. So, I normally don't. I would say it's a non-traditional romantic type love story and the main character I guess being having Asperger's and um, dealing with his reality a little different than most people is searching for a wife he has a wife project and somehow gets involved with Rosie who is searching for her real father and so he ends up also embarking on the Rosie project so the story is about how those two projects kind of intermingle. <laughs> right. Uh, I agree. I don't normally like romance novels at all. I am not a romantic. I'm not a fan of being a romantic. And I kept seeing this book pop up on my list of books to read. And I was like, all right, fine. I will bite the bullet. I will take you on. And then I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I found that Don was such an interesting character uh, I have worked previously with a gentleman who seemed like he was definitely on the spectrum somewhere. Uh, so I was somewhat familiar with someone with Asperger's, but not overly familiar. So I thought it was really intriguing looking into his mind and understanding the choices that he made. However, we're also here to talk about booze. Yes, I have a great <laughs> drink tonight. And it is serendipitously featuring, um, we have a distillery here in town called the Iron Shoe, and I have a bottle of Lovebug Lemoncello. So I made us some little drinks with Lemoncello, equal parts Lemoncello and citrus vodka, some homemade simple syrup, and you shake that up in a shaker, pour it over ice with some club soda, or we used Verner's because I could not find club soda, <laughs> and some fresh lemon, and it is very refreshing. It is very good. I am not typically a huge lemon fan. This is delicious. Thank you. <laughs> uh, ooh, I really, really like this. I, I had a, a limoncello tiramisu that I made, so I was like, mm, I know that I can like it. <laughs> The trick is getting it super cold, then everything tastes great. Ah, yes, it all blends together. Yeah. <laughs> so I had some discussion questions that I found online from Simon and Schuster, who are the publisher for The Rosie Project. And one of their first questions is that they ask about Don's autism and uh, how that affects him. Like, does it help him? Does it hinder him? Did you, did you have any opinions on those? I do. I think that people who are autistic or have Asperger's or even like ADD or ADHD, they, they don't fit in to our world and our society and how we do things. But I think that that's on purpose. I think that our world and our system is kind of broken and that these souls were willing to come in different than everybody else because they are literally unable to be like socialized and conditioned the way that we d 
do to our children generation upon generation. So it's creates like a, you know, a break in the system, a way we have to look at things their way. We have to try to understand them and why they do things the way that they do. And I feel like that kind of breaks us out of our routine a little bit. I think it's a great service to our world to have people who think differently like Don does in the book. Oh, that's beautiful, Monica. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I I think that for Don, he's so intelligent, he's so high-functioning that it really helps him focus on his work and helps him develop his research, which, you know, is ultimately doing a service to humankind because he's a genetics professor. So... Uh, yeah, that kind of focus is enviable, seriously. <laughs> Being like the anti-focus person over here. Uh, they, they, they also have a question about uh, his routines and how you fit on the, the routine versus sort of like a chaos spectrum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I have to say that I I'm more of Don's side of things. I am very routine. I'm very organized. I'm very structured. Uh, this is how the day's gonna go. On the car ride every morning to school, I tell the kids, "Today's Monday. This is what's gonna happen today, and then this is what we're gonna expect for the rest of the week." And then every morning, it's again, "Today is Tuesday. This is what we're gonna expect today, and here's the rest of the week." <laughs> and I am a what day is this again? <laughs> I am like so far on the chaos spectrum. It's not even funny. I'm flighty. I'm forgetful. I I have really learned how to use routine to help my anxiety a little bit. I find that having a routine helps so much. So I do like laundry on Wednesdays and I make sure I do the dishes at a certain time every day. And I really try, 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 try to like make my lunches up for work ahead of time and have these little things done in a routine so that I don't have to think about them so that I can think about other things. But, um, you know, I've often said I get a planner every year in July and I never open it again, or in July. I get it in January. That might explain the problem if I get it in July. But, um, well, it's almost July, and I haven't even looked at it yet. Like, I want to be a planner person so bad, and I am just not. So, yeah, chaos. Chaos is my life. Uh, I feel that routines really help with my anxiety and knowing what to expect and knowing what's going on. The The kids definitely thrive on that as well they don't like it when the routine is messed up we we went on vacation for spring break Thorin wasn't really thrilled being off of his routine so much and I think that sort of took away some of his enjoyment from our vacation well that's a good segue into another question that was asked on the list which was breaking your routine right and how the breaking your routine can possibly open you up to new circumstances and situations And I do find that especially going new places and traveling, it really puts you in the moment. So you're not operating on, you know, your subconscious mind and just doing things how you're always doing. You're in the moment. You're noticing your surroundings. You feel more alive. Um, Yeah, I I do feel like a break in your routine once in a while is good. 
I I have to agree. It it was really hard for me uh, to sort of open up. Like I was one of the people that barely let my kids stay up for Fourth of July fireworks. I'm like, are you kidding me? Fireworks are like ten o'clock at night. That's ridiculous. That's bedtime. I'm like, I'm in bed at ten thirty. No, my children are in bed at night. No, this is ridiculous. And then uh, one of our really good friends, Jen, who was on the show for uh, From Here to Eternity, was that the one that we did? Uh, it might have been the other one, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Yes. She is much more free-flowing. She's not so structured. And uh, spending time with her, I could see the value of all of that. And I was like, oh, this, this is a different new experience. And she helped open me up to that. And... Help the kid and the kids loved it. They're like, "Oh, we get to stay up to ten o'clock! Wow!" <laughs> and I think it does sometimes take a person to—I don't know if it's tell you it's okay or give you some safe space to change things. Just like Don in the story with working with Rosie, you know, he never would have opened up or changed his routine or done things differently had she not come into his life like a whirlwind. I feel. I, I love them together, and I and I feel like yeah, she's, she's sort of like, woo, <laughs> I'm not having lobster on Tuesdays, no, Don, and he's just sort of like, well, I like you, so I guess I'll have to do something different. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and so then I guess then we could maybe talk about the actual like Rosie project and the wife project because I know it asks. Um, so he has a list, right? He has a questionnaire. A questionnaire for traits of, you know, what he expects from the wife project. So he puts it out, what, online and everywhere for people to fill out this questionnaire so that he can, you know, okay, this one's not going to work. This one's not going to work. And do you remember some of the questions? I mean, they were hilarious. I, I mean, one was like, definitely like, do you smoke? You know, so right. definitely no. In the yeah, trash. yeah. <laughs> Which was funny because Rosie smokes. <laughs> yes, yes. He was like, she is definitely not wife material. He kept saying that over and over again. She is definitely not wife material. Like, you spent an awful lot of time and attention on this friend. I mean, he only did have two friends. So, I mean, that kind of, you know, like, oh, I have a new friend. This is exciting. Yeah, and that does, you know, open us up to the question that was, um, I think it was on the list, was something like, can you pick a partner using, you know, set qualifications to pick someone? What do you think about that? So I was thinking about this, and I feel as though the questionnaire itself is really smart, because then you can make it introspective. You can say... Who am I and what do I value? And what do I want my partner to also value? What are the key values to me as as a person? I mean, do they smoke? Okay, well, maybe smoking is definitely a cutoff for some people, but maybe it's not so important for other people where they're like, I have to have a key value on how we are spiritually, how you value humanity, how you want to take care and maintain our, our living space. I mean... So I feel like there's values to a questionnaire as long as you're sort of like using that to look at yourself, not necessarily to evaluate 
other people because I, I think that it's too hard to composite an entire person into like 50 questions. And I think that's one of the things that Don realized too because it doesn't tell you, you would think it would tell you so much about a person, but it really doesn't because everybody who fits all the criteria might not still be the person that you're looking for. Right, like the woman who was uh, the, the dancer. dancer. Yes, you know, she fit all the criteria. She hit all the check marks. She was attractive, but he was just like, mm, no, she's she's not the one. And I do feel like that in most relationships, there are key things that if you're not compatible with, that it will make the relationship very rocky. For example... If one person wants kids and the other person doesn't want kids, you know, if you're going to compromise, there's no compromise on that. Either no, one person right. wins or loses, and that's always going to be a problem. And I think a lot of people, I think the good thing about the questionnaire is that it can open you up to conversation because then you can talk about these things that are important to you and figure out, you know, what to do about it. I do think that people subconsciously pick people who they want to spend time with and I think it has to do with they see traits in the other person who reminds them of maybe things about themselves that they've pushed away so they want to you know if you're opposites attract right so if you're a quiet person and you're really attracted to somebody who's outgoing you know that's that part of you that wants to express yourself it's like reaching out to those aspects of yourself that you've cut away from yourself so I think a lot of attraction wouldn't respond to a questionnaire. It's more of maybe the questionnaire could be used after you found somebody who you think you might be into. <laughs> that I think that's a really good point. I have uh, another question that they're talking about decision making um, from Simon and Schuster. And I have read a lot of books about decision making and so often as society we think that decisions should be uh, as portrayed by Spock, you know, the logical mind without feeling. And from all the books and literature that I've read, there's two parts of the brain. There's the critical thinking part of the brain, the frontal cortex, and then there's the older part of our brain, the limbic system. And the limbic system has been around much longer. It's what helps keep us alive. It's, it's when you see a tiger, it goes, run. I mean, it's, it's an automatic part of us. And oftentimes, they've done experiments where people were given choices to make, and the limbic system already was thinking, already had a decision made in place before the frontal cortex realized what was going on, and was like, yeah, I agree with that. So they said, in general, when it's a really important decision to make, something that is you know, affecting your whole life, you should definitely go with your instincts and definitely go with your gut. And if it's something that's small, like what is the best toaster oven to buy, you should use your frontal cortex where, you know, you're thinking more of your critical thinking skills. Is this going to be a good investment? Is this something long term that I really need in my house? Do I really have space? No, no, I don't. Yeah, that is <laughs> totally perfect. And I think that we all know that feeling where you've even 
even made a decision and you feel icky about it and like, ooh, this sounds like the right thing to do, but something feels off about it. And I think we do need to trust our gut, like you said, because our intuition is, I mean, it's a valid part of making decisions, I would say. And it's what I use being a chaotic, non-logical person. That's <laughs> how I function. Well, well, that part of our brain has been around for much longer. It's way more developed. It has a lot more senses. It's taking in a lot of information all at once, where the frontal cortex isn't nearly sophisticated. So, I mean, Don used this in, in the book. He kept saying logically, Rosie's not the one. She's she's not wife material. But his his limbic system was like, Don. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to look at this again. <laughs> she's the one. <laughs> now, I want to ask you about the Rosie project itself. Did you have an inkling that who her father was okay did we say what the actual oh i did say what the rosie project was yes she her mother her mother told her that her who she had always known as her father wasn't her real father right so and he's a geneticist so they're looking for her father and i did figure it out fairly early by my gut no <laughs> it didn't give it away in the book at all but i thought you know what this man who she thinks is not her father, I bet it's really her father. And, you know, just a little bit farther along, they start talking about the eye color and in genetics and how that's why her mother thought that it wasn't because she didn't think that because Rosie had, what was it, like green eyes? And yeah, yeah and they had brown and blue eyes that it couldn't, they couldn't be, he couldn't be the father, but as we've learned, genetics is much more complicated. and Eye color in genetics is very complicated. It involves multiple genes. It's not straightforward at all. And Don is very disappointed in their uh, medical school <laughs> for not teaching more about that and, you know, sort of leaving that out and because he's a genetics professional. It, uh, at our last discussion... Uh, somebody had brought up the fact that they thought that Don should have suspected it sooner because he's so brilliant. So I was thinking hard about why he wouldn't have questioned that at first. And so here's what I propose. I believe that Don was very enamored with Rosie. And neither Rosie nor her father had, or really the mother, had any incentive to lie. It, there was no gain in her lying to her husband, him lying to Rosie. So all of them believe this to be truth. So Don looks at these uh, at Rosie, who's being genuine to him, and sees her truth. And he doesn't question as to why, you know, that wouldn't possibly be true. He's assuming this is true because everyone believes it to be true. And so then he doesn't have enough information till later and then he's like ah so but I also felt like he didn't have enough social skills at the beginning of the Rosie project whereas being involved with the Rosie project and being all these crazy hijinks that they're doing to get these samples uh, helps him evolve his social skills to be able to even approach Rosie with like 
questions of, hey, what what all is going on with this? Tell me more of the story. I mean, I think he felt like, I feel like he had a lack of information and a lack of uh, social awareness and then a lack of ability to communicate any doubt that he might have had in it. And maybe subconsciously, too, he wanted the project to continue on because he liked talking to her. It gave him a lot more time to spend with Rosie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, I suspected after the very first test came back negative, I'm like, oh, he is her dad. I'm like, oh. And then every test they did, I was like, oh, my God, you guys, this is such a bad idea this is so illegal you're gonna get in so much trouble i feel so much anxiety for you it's her real dad i'm like why why are you doing this i was i was worried about them i, I mean they're like, like oh, stealing oh, people's dna's oh. off their their off their glasses without their consent or knowledge what what that was the best part where he learns how to be a bartender he reads this book oh, about how to yes. make drinks and they go to this Function where all these people who they suspect might be a possible father of hers. The medical um, school reunion. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, but he has a great time. That's like one of the best. He, he has fun and is learning a lot how to be around people and, and get people's approval because he was such a great bartender because he's so smart. <laughs> I love it when really smart people choose a fun hobby like uh don becomes a bartender so he studies and he becomes an expert at it there was um, a gentleman that i knew that was a grad student at notre dame who uh was a chef as like his hobby that's what he did to relax and they're just like oh and really smart people cook it's so good oh my gosh. <laughs> sign me up <laughs> yeah i i love that part of him bartending and oh that fits so well with our podcast too it does and they make these fancy drinks right and everybody's so impressed and he learns from the book of what ingredients need to be in a well-stocked bar so (laughs) he needs to make this drink that has some herbs in it i think it's sage or something like that and he even goes to the kitchen and they don't have any and he's like this is not a well-stocked bar (laughs) and i'm laughing because you know Right. And the owner comes and he's like, oh, we should really go into business together. You're amazing. And he's like, well, I can always fall back on that when I get, you know, fired right. for all these unethical things I'm doing for the Rosie Project. And I was like, oh my gosh, Don. I'm like, at least you've come up with a plan B. Until now, I've been like very worried. I have too much anxiety. I'm like, I'm investing too much in you right now. Well, and that was one of the questions too is, you know, is breaking the rules for a good reason ever okay or a good idea? What do you think? I I have to firmly say no. I had way too much anxiety. And I'm like, I'm not. These are characters in a book that I'm reading at the comfort of my own bed. I'm like, yeah, no. Uh, I, I am not that person. I'm, I'm sorry. I and like I, rules. I like law and order. That's just who I am and it, it gives me too much anxiety just knowing people are breaking rules and I'm like rules are meant to be broken over here okay like you know yes there are rules people there are rules but you know we've got it every situation is unique and so 
when people do break the rules, we've got to take their personal stories into account as to and their motivations and what made them do this. And that is why I could never be a police officer <laughs> or a judge because everyone would be innocent. <laughs> I... I feel very generous when other people break rules. Mm-hmm. When other people break rules, I think, oh, oh, that that was not a good choice. I feel like I give them a lot more credit than, per se, if I broke the same rule. I'd be like, oh, Jamie, oh, I can't believe that you did that. What the hell? Like, <laughs> you know not to do these things. So just thinking about breaking rules, to me, I'm like, oh, oh gosh, that's, yeah, that's terrible, where, you know, like, oh, that person did this, you know, they must have really needed to make that choice at the time, they were, you know, a spot in their life where they just didn't have the emotional capability to make a better choice, and I feel really bad for them, and their families, and, you know, the aftermath that everyone has to go forward with this, and so, yeah, I, I, I feel both We're ways. always more <laughs> hard on ourselves. That's for sure. I think we're always more hard on ourselves. Uh, completely. Yeah. Completely true. Which is why uh, some of the advice I, I have seen when dealing with yourself and the bad choices that you make, what would you tell your friend? And then go with that. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely good advice. <laughs> what, what would you say to Monica for that choice? <laughs> We would have that conversation with Monica a lot. <laughs> oh, so Simon and Schuster had also asked, like, uh, uh, Don is doing research of, of romantic comedies and romantic movies. And so it was like, name your f- top five uh, favorite uh, romance movies. And so I'm going to say this, and not everyone will agree with me, because I've had people not agree with me, but I love the movie Fight Club. And I feel Fight Club is actually a romance because at the end, Tyler and uh, the girl's name, who suddenly I can't remember because I've had a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it so long ago, I don't remember either. But they end up together. So he, like the buildings blowing up in the background, all the credit card companies are on fire (laughs) and they're making out. So I'm just like, yeah, they, they end up together. We really hate romance movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a romance. I mean, they date, they break up, they get back together, they blow up a bunch of buildings, and then, you know, they go off. So I feel it was a romance. And then uh, The Princess Bride. Yes, Princess Bride made my list, too. I mean, obviously. It's fantasy, it's romance, it's great. Um, I also As you wish. Yes. <laughs> Still melts my heart after all these years. I also picked 500 Days of Summer. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the main character, he is in love with Summer. So it's about their, their 500 days of their relationship through his perspective. She doesn't feel the same way about him. They're more like friends. So he gets his heart broken, basically. And it's really cool because you're seeing this through his perspective but which was way different than what reality really was and so i thought that was a nice twist but then the love story comes in even though he got his heart broken then at the end he meets autumn Ah. (laughs) and so i thought that was cool too and then also i picked pretty in pink because who doesn't love molly ringwald in the 80s and that was great i thought (laughs) 
cool. So as we wrap up, was there anything else that you thought we should mention about um, this book? No, not anything off the top of my head, except for that if you're not reading it because you don't like a romance story, I mean, I'm all for sci-fi, fantasy, and I was pleasantly surprised. I thought the characters were adorable. I thought they were endearing. I thought the story was interesting. It was very enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Monica. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and let's give a huge applause. Yay! to Monica for creating our cocktails and joining us today. Bye. We will see you next month.